It's January 18th, 1788, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. Indigenous people had been living in what we now call Australia for at least 50,000 years before this day in 1788, when the British First Fleet sailed into Botany Bay, known to locals as Kamei, to establish their new penal colony. Only the bay that they'd sailed into was really open and unprotected, and there wasn't much fresh water there, and the soil was no good for farming. So it really wasn't long before the whole fleet was on the move again, heading slightly further north to Port Jackson, where finally a few days later, the settlement of the colony began and that's the city that we now know as Sydney. The idea of setting up a colony at Botany Bay was partially the brainchild of Sir Joseph Banks, who had become the unusual title of celebrity botanist. He had been on (laughs) Captain Cook's voyage in 1770 and had been to Australia and he'd come back and he'd been telling about, you know, the flora and fauna and had made himself a pretty famous figure. The issue was that he'd only briefly visited Australia, like everybody on Captain Cook's voyage. So he'd basically come back and said, you could do it at Botany Bay. You know, when you go to a city and you go to like one place that's good and then every time someone brings the city up, you're like, you should go to this brunch place that I went to the one time I went there. Yeah, the one place I went to. Yeah, <laughs> no, It was exactly like that. Captain Philip actually wrote afterwards about why he'd relocated from the original site they'd intended to set up. No place was found in the whole circuit of Botany Bay which seemed at all calculated <laughs> for the reception of so large a settlement. In other words, basically, take that, Captain Cook. You know, you, you may have discovered it as far as I'm concerned but you also have no idea where to put a fleet of boats. I've done that now. <laughs> So actually, I'm the more important settler than you, because I've been and I know. Yes, and that practicality was a deep part of the character of Arthur Philip, the guy who had had a really distinguished naval career before he then became the governor of that penal colony in what became known as New South Wales. The whole landmass was then known as New Holland and took a while before it got the name of Australia that we recognise today. But his practicality included the fact that he thought it would be a quite good idea to bring farmers and builders, or at least convicts with experience in farming and building and craft. But that proposal was denied, and that made the establishment of a workable colony really, really difficult in the early years. And, you know, among the many inhospitable things that they faced, I think the lack of knowledge among the team that they'd brought with them, the fact that they'd really brought people whose expertise was in stealing or in whatever crime (laughs) they'd been convicted of, that came to count against them massively. The first fleet consisted of 11 ships carrying about 1,400 people, and about half of those were convicts, and the rest were, you know, members of the crew, marines who were there to guard them, and sort of skeleton staff of officials to get the new colony off the ground. And you can only imagine, you know, the scene when they landed, and just realising that there's nothing there, that, you know, you have to Mm -hmm. start completely from scratch. The convicts Mm -hmm. were marched onto the beach, and more or less told, go and start collecting some wood and making your own shelter because we're really starting from zero. But I think the thing that really impressed itself on me as I was researching this topic is that I kept thinking... Well, how were they being guarded? What were they being kept in? Obviously, there were no prisons to keep them in. So how were they keeping them in one place? But their actual sentence was exile. They weren't being sentenced to be imprisoned in Australia. They're being sentenced to transportation. So Mm. once they got there, that was their punishment. And most of them, it seems, realised that the only thing they could really do in their situation was to try and help make the colony livable. Quite right, though. I mean, the 11 ships set out from Portsmouth on the 13th of May, 1787. So they'd been on an eight-month voyage. 
by this point. 252 days. That is a long time. Try and remember what you were doing last May, <laughs> right? Yeah. And a lot of these people had literally stolen groceries. And mm. so, you know, the punishment of being exiled for 252 days just by itself would have been sufficient, given that New South Wales was put into law as a destination for convicts when the British government deduced that Gibraltar was unsuitable. You know, it's a few days to Gibraltar. It's 252 days to get to Australia. So you have served your sentence on the boat. 48 people died en route. Yeah, they travelled via Tenerife and Rio de Janeiro and the last place that they saw that had any current Europeanness about it was Cape Town where they took in a bunch of supplies and the things that they were going to use to actually start the colony once they arrived in New Holland. And Robert Hughes, the art critic and documentarian, wrote, Before them at this stage stretched the awesome lonely void of the Indian and Southern Oceans and beyond that lay nothing they could imagine. And I do sometimes try to think back to what it must have been like to go through not only the voyage itself but then the arrival on what must have felt like very inhospitable shores, not only the fact that Botany Bay was so very unsuitable for starting a colony, but even once you get into Australia proper, there are so many things that are trying to kill you there. Plus, of course, the fact that this was not terra nullius. That was the legal determination of courts in Britain that sort of justified the establishment of a colony in this land. But of course, Terra nullius, meaning unoccupied land, wasn't the case. There were around 800,000 indigenous people in the country itself, and they made contact in the very early days. And even though uh, Philip was told to be sort of cordial, as cordial as one can be with a completely unknown civilization, already there was some violence in the early days. Not surprisingly, given that these people had just rocked up in your backyard. Yeah, and Governor Philip, for his day, had a relatively respectful attitude towards the Indigenous people when he first arrived. He had been instructed by London to try and befriend the local people and find out more about their way of life. But one major issue in the development of the colony was it took two years to send a message to London and receive a reply. So... (laughs) So Philip had to make a lot of decisions on the ground. And one of those was that when the local indigenous people proved, understandably, not particularly willing to come and spend time with the new colonists, he ended up just kidnapping two men and bringing them, basically being like, you must tell us everything about your culture, you must teach us your language, which probably wasn't the best start to getting those friendly relations off the ground. And obviously, you know, (laughs) in the decades to come, it would only become worse. Absolutely. And worse, let's be clear, because of the British approach over the years to come to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people rather than the other way around. And I think it needs to be said pretty straight that the arrival of the first fleet in Australia, ultimately through like disease and battle and massacres, amounts to the beginning of a genocide of a people. He also decided that free men, people who had decided to join this transport because they wanted to leave Britain and explore foreign climes and establish themselves in Australia would be entitled to the same rations as the people who were convicts, which I suppose was, again, practical to stop a rebellion on the ground from these people who you know are criminals and might be likely to protest in a very uh, (laughs) antagonised way if you were to give them less food than everyone else. But actually, again, sort of seems relatively, when you're talking about taking a whole load of enslaved people and putting them on the other side of the earth, to be quite liberal, doesn't it? You know, everyone here in this new community is going to have the same thing, including the free people. I just can't get my head into the psychology of the free people and how they told their friends back home that they were going to 
Australia? Like, because it must have been marketed to them as a place you, you you go second only to the death penalty as a punishment. And then they were like, yeah, I'm going to go and set up a business. I mean, yeah. it must have been like people in Britain must have thought they were absolutely mad. Yes. I mean, I guess at that stage, they must have had a sense of the opportunity that it presented as well as the risks. But you're absolutely right, particularly with the foundation of a colony and especially knowing what its purpose was, which was that it was going to be a place where you sent your prisoners who didn't fit in your already totally overflowing prisons. And also they had them on kind of hulks and dilapidated ships all around the country. So you were traveling with people who were kind of ne'er-do-wells at best. But I do think that something of Philip's comparative enlightenment in his attitude to the people that he was setting up this colony with was part of what stopped it from being a complete failure on the voyage itself and certainly in those early days you know once the second and third fleets arrived they had been much less well handled by the people who were running them and that these supposed reinforcements who were arriving to try to bolster this sort of fledgling new community all turned up half starving to death and in some sort of physical peril and had to be revived by the people who they were meant to be relieving so something about Philippine himself he was obviously the kind of person who ran a tight ship or a tight 11 ships yeah (laughs) (laughs) there's also a curious kind of reverse social stratification in australia now where i remember there was a moment where when i was young this software was brought out through which you could trace your uh, lineage either to a convict or not to a convict and it was weird that in my primary school the kids who could trace themselves back to a convict had a sort of bit of a swagger yeah a bit more of a swagger about them yeah whereas the rest of us were were lesser you know free settlers or i suppose people with indigenous heritage as well is there still any beef between the kids that are the uh, descendants of like the captains and the kids who are the descendants of the <laughs> oh good question the kids of the captains evidently didn't go to my schools because <laughs> <laughs> i was just with the convict kids tomorrow so their research really was in motion they were do- researching in a whole lot of different directions <laughs> Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.